Or you guys can turn to John 17. John 17, we're going to look at the high priestly prayer this morning as Jesus prayed for us in John 17. My name is Blake Jennings. For those of you who, who don't know me, I'm the teaching pastor over at our Southwood campus. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue our sermon series on praying big. Now, uh, let me begin with a question. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask for? What would be at the top of your list? This last summer, Julie and I took our twins, Luke and Gracie, to Galveston for the first time. They're they're just two years old at the time, so everything was new. Everything was exciting. And no trip to Galveston with kids would be complete without a visit to Murdoch's Souvenir Shop. It's built out over the pier. It's huge. If you've ever been in this thing, it's actually two buildings joined together full of every beach-related toy and souvenir you can imagine. And so we walk up to the steps in, in, in Murdoch's souvenir shop, and I get down on my knee, and I say to my kids, Luke and Gracie, you can pick out any toy within reason in this store, and I will buy it for you. Any toy you want, but you only get one, so choose wisely. Now, you can imagine, that, that got my kids pretty excited. They're giddy. It's, it's June, and yet it's Christmas. They don't know what's going on, but they're, they're excited about it. And so they, they walk in the store, and what do they do? They walk in, take two steps to the first display of toys, grab the first toy they see, a little rubber ball, hold it up and say, Daddy, this one, Daddy, this one. And I get back on my knee, and I say, kiddos, come on. You, you, you got a lot of these little rubber balls at home. And you know this isn't that fun. You're going to get bored with it in a few minutes. There's way better toys in the store. So, so keep looking, keep looking. And so uh, they reluctantly put the ball back in the display. And they, they took a few more steps into the store until they saw the postcard rack. And they run and grab a postcard. Daddy, this one. Daddy, this one. I'm thinking, a, a postcard? Really? A postcard? Come on, kiddos. That's not even a toy, you're going to be really bored with that. Come on, if you keep looking in the store, you will get to the, to the toy dolphins and the toy boats. You're really going to love those, so keep looking, keep looking. Luke and Gracie, at two years old, lacked the discernment to choose wisely. They could have had any toy in that place, and yet they kept asking for small things that weren't even toys that they would have been bored with in five minutes because they lacked the wisdom to ask for what's best. Now, I'm trusting that all of us in this room are older than my preschoolers, and I hope wiser than my preschoolers, and yet all of us tend to make the same mistake that Luke and Gracie did. In prayer, God invites us to ask him for anything, literally for for anything, and yet so often we ask for small things, insignificant things, neglecting the the best things, the, the highest things, the most important things. We need to learn to pray bigger, to pray for that which is best, that which is highest. And so this morning we're going to look at John 17, at Jesus's high priestly prayer. It's called that because in this prayer he he speaks as our high priest. And if you've read John 17, you know it's full of a lot of theology. Jesus says a lot of deep things about God, about himself, about us, about salvation. I don't have time to cover all that theology this morning. We'd need multiple sermons for that. This morning, all I want to do is answer one question from this chapter. One question from John 17. According to Jesus' prayer in John 17, what should we pray for? God invites us to ask him for anything. So what should we ask for? 
What's best? What's biggest? What's highest? What should we ask God to do in our lives? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What should we focus on? Now, Jesus is not going to give us a comprehensive list of things to pray for in John 17 because he didn't have time for that. If you know the story of John and where we are in the book of John, by chapter 17, Judas has already left. He's already left to go betray Jesus and get the guards to come and arrest him. So Jesus knows his time is short. The guards could show up and knock at the door at any moment. And so with just a little bit of time in this prayer, he focuses on just the most important things. Actually, six things. Six priorities that Jesus is going to pray for in John 17. If he would have had more time, he would have prayed for more stuff. But since his time was short, he focused on just that which is best, that which is most important. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus's six priorities. We're going to learn to pray for the biggest things, the most important things that we need. You can ask God for lots of stuff, But this is the big stuff, the most important stuff. So let's jump right in. Let's look at these six priorities in prayer from Jesus. We'll look at the beginning of the chapter, John 17. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. Jesus gives us the first priority in prayer. Jesus spoke these things. And lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, again, there's, there's a lot of theology in those five verses, a lot of deep things that Jesus says. But what I want us to focus on is Jesus in these five verses, he's praying for himself. Do you notice that? He's praying for himself. He's asking God to do something for him at this moment of his greatest need. He knows he's about to be arrested, tried, tortured, and crucified. He knows that's about to happen within the next 24 hours. And so what is the one thing he asks for himself? Most important thing that Jesus wants God to do for him, enable him to glorify God. That's the first priority. Jesus prays that God the Father would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father. That's what Jesus wants above all else is to glorify God the Father. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to to glorify someone? Well, to glorify someone means that you, you publicly praise a person. You you publicly lift them up so that everyone sees them and sees how great they are. You you declare their praiseworthiness. You exalt them in front of other people. Um, To think of it in just modern English terms, you might say to glorify someone means to make them famous. You make them famous by declaring how great they are to others. Now, if you want to understand this idea of to glorify, it's really easy to illustrate. Last semester, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy and what does A&M do? glorified him. That's what that is, that billboard in Times Square that we put up. That, that's what it means to glorify someone. A&M literally lifted Johnny up, made a huge image of him, and puts on a billboard for all to see how exceptional he is. That's what it means to, to glorify someone. You make them famous to other people. Now, interestingly, why did A&M do that? Well, it wasn't just because Johnny's great. They did that because they know the more famous Johnny is, the more famous A&M will be. 
You glorify him, it glorifies us. And that's exactly what Jesus wants. Jesus wanted above all else to glorify God the Father. And he knew the way for Jesus to glorify the Father was to become glorified himself. Jesus understood to make the Father famous, I must become famous by becoming savior of the world, by by dying for sin and rising from the dead so that all men and women can become worshipers of God the Father who glorify him. And so Jesus prays, Father, glorify me, help me to die well and rise from the dead and be famous as, as the savior of the world so I can glorify you. Now, how does that relate to us? Well, we are not called to become saviors of the world. Jesus took care of that. But like Jesus, we are called to glorify God the Father. That's actually why you're here on the planet Earth. Have you ever thought about that? Why doesn't God just take you home to heaven? It'd be a lot nicer for you if you were in heaven right now. So why are you still here? There's only one reason to glorify God the Father by telling people about Jesus. That's the purpose of your life. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Just like Jesus, we have been sent into this sinful, dark world to to glorify God the Father by telling people about Jesus. That is the purpose of your life. Everything else is secondary to that. Your studies, your job, your career, your family, your kids, all of that is secondary to glorifying God. That's the purpose of your life, to make God famous by telling people about Jesus. That's why we're here. And so the first and foremost priority in our prayer life should be the same priority in Jesus's prayer life. We should be praying that we would glorify God. Every day we should be praying for ourselves and and for our families, for our kids, for one another, that we would be faithful to glorify God the Father by telling people about Jesus. We should be praying for one another that we would be faithful to glorify God even when it's hard, even when it's costly. It was very costly for Jesus. It, It cost him his life. It will be costly for us as well. And so every day pray that God would make you faithful to glorify him by telling people boldly about Jesus Christ. That's the biggest thing to pray for. First thing on your list, first and foremost priority in prayer is that we would glorify God by telling people about Jesus. Second priority that Jesus gives us comes later in the chapter. From verse six on, Jesus begins to pray for his disciples and his followers for for all of us. So Jesus shifts in verse six and he gives the second priority in prayer starting in verse 11. So look at verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus prays that the Father would keep them in your name, keep us in his name. Now, what does that mean, to keep us in his name? Well, um, today, our names don't really mean much. My name, Blake, it's just how you get my attention. You say Blake if you want me to listen to you. But in the ancient world, your name was you. Your name represented all that you are, your character, your actions, your whole person. And so when Jesus prays that God would keep us in his name, he's praying that God would keep us in him. 
That God would keep us close to him. That God would, would keep us faithful to him, loyal to him. That God would keep us from drifting off after lesser things. He's praying that God would keep us in love with him. This prayer reminds me of something that my dad did about a year ago. A little background on my parents. My mom and dad live in the Austin area. And my mom and my brother went to the University of Texas along with, with most of my relatives. Um, but Julie and I, we went to A&M. And so our house is all Aggie all the time. Um, our kids are growing up maroon. They have Aggie shirts and we taught them Gigum and Hullabaloo when they were still toddlers. And we've taken them around the MSC. So it's all Aggie all the time in my home. And that concerns my dad. My dad is, is concerned that my kids are not getting a balanced view of higher education in the state of Texas. And he feels he needs to correct that. And so about a year ago, they were visiting like they often do. It was a Saturday and I'm off preparing a sermon. And without my permission or my blessing, my dad took it upon himself to teach my two-year-old boy, Luke, how to flash horns. Yeah, taught, taught him this. Um, and so imagine my surprise, my chagrin, when I come home after working all day and my little two-year-old boy runs up to me with a smile on his face and flashes horns. I, I was concerned about this because it was Saturday. Next day would be Sunday and my boy's going to church. And, and I'm, I'm really concerned that he's going to be running around the floor uh, flashing horns. And, and little kids, they're cute. But in this town, there is a limit to what we will call cute and, and flashing horns. It's way over the line. And so my hope for my boy was that he would stay loyal. Luke, stay true to your maroon roots. Don't be led astray by your grandpa. Come on. <laughs> stay true. Well, that is actually exactly what Jesus is praying, but for an infinitely more important relationship. Jesus is praying that we would stay loyal and true to our God. That's, that's infinitely more important than staying loyal to your school. Who cares what school you go to? What matters is that you stay loyal to your God, that you stay in love with your God, that you don't get led astray by lesser loves, by lesser things. So Jesus' second priority in prayer, the second thing that we should be praying for on a regular basis is to remain loyal and in love with God. That we would remain true to him and passionately in love with him. Now, now let's make sure we understand this. God always remains loyal and in love with us. Right? God, God's love is unconditional. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you could ever do that could cause God to stop loving you. He will always love you and you will spend eternity with him because he will always be loyal to you no matter what. God's love for us and loyalty to us is absolute and guaranteed. But our love and loyalty for him is not absolute and it is not guaranteed because we are still sinful human beings. We have divided hearts. We love God, but we also love the world. And, and like all fallen human beings, our love vacillates. Some days we love God more. Some days we love the world more. And so Jesus challenges us every day, pray that God would cause you to be loyal to him, that God would grow your love for him so that you would love him above all else. I think what Jesus is challenging us to do here is every day we should be pleading with God for ourselves and for our children and for one another. Plead with God on the behalf of, of all of us who work here at Grace, for your elders, for your deacons. Plead with God to grow our love 
so that we would love him above all else, plead with God to keep us loyal to him, to do whatever it takes to make us faithful to him. So our second priority in prayer, pray that God would cause us to be loyal and in love with him. Third priority that Jesus lays out for us begins in verse 14. Look at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, uh, what does Jesus mean here when he says that we are not of the world? Well, in the book of John, uh, this word world, it's almost always a bad thing. When John says world, he's not talking about the planet Earth or human beings in general. Uh, That word world, it's talking about humanity in rebellion against God. Human beings united in rebellion against their creator. That's the world. And in that sense of of the word, all of us were born into that world. We're born sinners. We were born rebelling against God. That's actually what unites all of humanity together. Not language, not culture, not history, but rebellion. That all of us, by nature, rebel against God. Now, the good news is uh, we can be saved from that. We can be rescued from rebellion through faith in the gospel simply by believing that Jesus is God's son who died for your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. The moment that you believe that good news, God claims you for his own. You no longer belong to the world. You now belong to God. You are part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. So just to be clear, there's actually only two groups of human beings on this planet. Those who are of the world in rebellion against God and those who are of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now all of that theology is meant to set up the request in verse 15 and notice first of all what Jesus does not want. Beginning of verse 15, he does not want God to take us out of this sinful world. Jesus doesn't want God to put us in a Christian bubble and and insulate us from all the sinners out there. He doesn't want us to go find some unpopulated piece of land and build a Christian nation. That's not what Jesus wants. Why? Because of request number one. Why are you here? To glorify God by telling people about Jesus. And you can't do that if you are cut off from the world. You have to live in the midst of this sinful world to glorify God. So Jesus wants us living right in the middle of this sinful world, telling people about him. But he knows that if we do that, if we live here in this sinful world, telling people about Jesus, he knows we will be targets of attack. He knows we will be attacked by a powerful enemy, the evil one, that is Satan. The the chief, the greatest of all angelic beings ever created, Satan, grew infatuated with himself. He fell in pride and now he rules over the demonic kingdom. And Satan hates all human beings, but his greatest hatred is reserved for us. For those who are children of God, who, who belong to the family of God, he hates us and is waging a war against us. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around roaring like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That verse was written to believers. So the someone there, that's you. 
He's trying to destroy you. He wants to devour you. Now, he can't cost you or take away your eternal life. You will spend forever with God, but he can destroy this life for you. He can lead you into deception, into, dis- in, into sin, and, and bring all of the consequences of sin into your life. That is his desire, to destroy you in deception and sin. Now, it may feel a little weird to you, all this talk about Satan, Because we live in a society that by and large has decided that he does not exist. That he is just a a relic of our superstitious past. A a myth fit for Hollywood B-grade horror movies. We live in a society that has decided that Satan doesn't exist. And frankly, nothing could make Satan happier. Because it is a lot easier to trip us up if we don't even know he's there. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. But he does. He does exist. He is very real, very powerful, and very dangerous. We may think little of Satan, but he thinks often of us. Always planning how to lead us into lies and into sin. And so Jesus challenges us. Think often of Satan. And so pray often for God's protection. That's the third priority in prayer. Pray every day that God would protect you from Satan's attacks, from his deception, from his temptation. Pray that God would put a hedge of protection around you and around your kids, around your family, around our church. Plead with God for protection from Satan, just like Jesus did. That's the third priority in prayer. Fourth priority that Jesus gives us in prayer is found in verses 17 to 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world for their sakes. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified in truth. What does that mean? Sanctified means to be set apart, to be set apart from the sinful world we live in. Actually, sanctified is the same word in scripture as holy. Same word, to be sanctified means to be holy, to be pure, to be set apart, to be different than this sinful world. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be different. He wants your beliefs, your values, your practices to be different than those of the world. And and to be exact, he wants you, unlike the rest of the world, to be conformed to truth. He wants your beliefs, your values, your practices to be conformed to truth. That's a key word here, truth. It appears three times in those three verses. And Jesus clarifies the truth is revealed in scripture. It is God's word. So to be sanctified in truth means to be fully conformed to God's word, to scripture. So what Jesus really wants here is three things. This, this idea of sanctified in truth, it includes three ideas. Jesus is praying, first of all, that you would know God's word. You can't be conformed to something that you don't know. To grow in holiness, you, you have to know God's word, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just for, for pastors or for elders, it's for all of us. We should know God's word from cover to cover. That's the first step in in becoming conformed to his word. So we need to know it. That's first. Second, we need to believe it. Jesus is praying that not only would we know God's word, but that we would believe it to be true. That we would hold it to be absolute, unfiltered, complete truth. Now that doesn't mean that our interpretations are true. Our interpretations could be in error. But Jesus wants us to hold to the Bible itself. That the Bible is God's perfect and inerrant word. 
He wants us to hold fast to our belief and the truthfulness of scripture, even when that is unpopular. There are a lot of unpopular things that the Bible says. A lot of things that this, that this academic world we live in finds very offensive, very unpopular. The Bible tells us without apology, without hesitation, that premarital sex and homosexual behavior are not allowed. It tells us that human beings were specially created, that we are not just distant cousins of monkeys. And most offensive of all, it, it tells us that salvation is only found through faith in Jesus Christ, that all other religions are ineffective and invalid. Those are incredibly unpopular and offensive beliefs. If you hold to the truth of scripture, society will label you an anti-academic bigot. You're going to have that label upon yourself. And so the question is, are you willing to endure that ridicule for the sake of holding fast to the truthfulness of God's word? That's the second thing Jesus includes in this prayer. First, that you would know God's word. Second, that you would believe it, even when that belief is unpopular. And third, that you would obey it. Sanctification, it's, it's ultimately about behavior, about being holy. Jesus wants us to be different in our behavior than the world. He wants us to live holy lives. And so when you add all of that together, what Jesus is praying here, the fourth priority in prayer, is that we would know and believe and obey God's word. That's what he wants. Jesus wants you to live in the middle of this sinful world, telling people about Jesus, but he doesn't want the sinful world to rub off on you. He wants you to be holy, to walk in truth and purity. He wants you to live a life that is completely conformed to God's word because you know it, believe it, and obey it. That's the fourth priority Jesus lays out for us in prayer. Fifth priority begins in verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying that we would be one with each other just as God the Father and God the Son are one. He is praying that we would be perfected in unity with one another, a, a unity that is so perfect, so complete, so absolute that the world would know that Jesus is God's Son. Now, he's not talking about your, your everyday run-of-the-mill kind of unity here that you would find on any good sports team or any successful business. This is not the unity of friendship that you see in a fraternity or sorority. This is supernatural unity. Supernatural unity that is built upon the love of God. Look at the last verse in this prayer, verse 26. He says, I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying that God's own love would be in each of us individually. That God's love would be in each of us individually, binding us together, unifying us as one loving body. He wants us to love each other with the same intensity of love with which the Father loves the Son. Not the world's kind of love, right? The world's kind of love, that's emotional love. That's an affection. He's talking about true love, God's love. God's love isn't based on emotion. Emotion may come with it, but it's not based on love. It's based on sacrifice. 
That's the definition of true love, sacrifice. You are willing to sacrifice self for the good of the one you love. That's true love. And Jesus is praying that that would be in us, that we would sacrificially love one another so completely, so absolutely that the world could not help but look in and say, wow, there is a God in that place. Fifth priority that Jesus lays out for us in prayer is that the Father would unify us in love. That he would unify us with one another in supernatural unity based on sacrificial love. Now let's clarify for a moment. A lot of people use this passage, this request that Jesus makes um, to argue that we should end all denominations. That all those who call themselves Christians should be one big group, one big, uh, one big family. Now, uh, it will be good when denominations come to an end. When, when all believers worship together, that will be great. That's coming. When Jesus comes, we'll all be one. Uh, but in the meantime, we need to remember, we have to balance this request with Jesus' previous requests. And in particular, he prayed that we would remain loyal to God. That we would glorify him by telling people about Jesus and that we would continue to, to believe that God's word is true. And so when we look at who we can unify with, we, we are only okay unifying with those who hold to those essentials, those who, who love Jesus, those who tell people about the gospel and those who, who hold the word of God to be true. If a church doesn't hold to those essentials, we can't unify with them because Jesus doesn't want unity at the expense of loyalty. What he wants is that for all of those, all of us who hold to those essentials, that we would be supernaturally unified together by sacrificially loving one another. That's the unity Jesus is looking for here. A unity of those who love Jesus, who preach the gospel, and who hold fast to God's word. Let us pray for that unity here at Grace Bible Church. That we would love one another so deeply, so sacrificially, that that would unify us together so tightly that when the world looks in through these doors, they would say, wow, there is a God in that place. Because those people really love one another. That's the fifth priority in prayer. That we would be unified in love. Finally, the sixth priority Jesus gives us in verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, uh, in this verse, Jesus prays for two things for us. First of all, he wants us to be with him, to be physically where he is. Now, now where is Jesus today? He's in heaven. So he wants us to, to be with him in heaven. Second, he prays that we would see him in his glory. That with, with our own eyes, we would see Jesus in all of his glory. Now, now, when will that happen? When will we be with Jesus, seeing him in his glory? Well, uh, when either one of two things happen. Either you die or Jesus comes back. In an event called the rapture, when he calls us home. Now, of those two things, death or the rapture, which do you think God wants us to pray for? Um, probably not death doesn't really want us to go home and pray that we would die. Uh, but he does want us to pray for the second. He wants us to pray for Jesus' return, that Jesus would come soon. John himself prays that, the second to last verse of the New Testament, Revelation twenty two twenty. he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In Aramaic, that's Maranatha. It's how Christians would greet one another in the first century. Maranatha, come soon, Jesus. God wants us to pray daily for the swift return of Jesus Christ. That's the sixth priority in prayer. Pray that Jesus would come back soon. Pray that he'd come back soon. Why? 
Because Jesus is the only hope for this world. Jesus' return is the only thing that's going to fix this planet, right? Government, education, science, technology, medicine, job growth, economic growth, peace treaties. None of those things can fix what truly ails the human race. Why? Because none of them get to the root of the problem, which is sin and Satan. We live in a world ruled by Satan and overrun by sin and education can't do jack about that. Only Jesus can't. The only hope for this world is for Jesus to come back. And so we should be praying every single day. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Come before this sermon is over. Get us out of here. Fix this planet that we live in. So pray for Jesus' return. Now, as the men go back to prepare communion, I want us to reflect for a moment. I want you just to look at that list of things that Jesus prayed for. I want you to reflect on it and and look and see, what, what do you notice? What stands out to you about these six requests? What convicts you? What do you see in your own prayer life that needs to change based on how Jesus Prayed. Here's what stands out to me. Here's what convicts me. As I look at this list, um, I, I reflect on the fact that as Jesus said this prayer, he knew without doubt that, that suffering was coming. He was about to be arrested and tried and tortured and crucified. He knew he was about to suffer and he knew his disciples, these men he loved, his closest friends on earth, he knew they were about to suffer. They were going to lose their homes and their families. They were going to be hunted down, persecuted, and most of them executed. And yet I look at his prayer and I notice nowhere in this prayer does he pray for their physical safety. Nowhere does he pray for their health. Nowhere does he pray for a long life. Nowhere does he pray for um, fulfillment on earth. Nowhere does he pray for comfort or happiness. All of those things are good. You can and should pray for all of those things. And if he would have had two hours to pray, maybe he would have included all of those things. But none of those things made the top of his list. Because none of those things are priorities. When Jesus focused on what was most important, on what he wanted above all else for us, happiness and health didn't make the top of his list. These things did. According to Jesus, this is what we need most. This is what we should be praying for because this is the most important thing we need to glorify God with our lives by telling people about Jesus, to to remain loyal and in love with God, to be protected from Satan, to know and believe and obey God's word, to be unified with one another in in love and to see Jesus return soon. That's what we need most. So, So ask God for everything, but focus on these priorities. This is what it means to pray big. I'll give you a few examples. Many of you know and have been praying. A few years ago, I lost sight in my right eye. Um, It's kind of a bummer. It's kind of presents some problems for me. And so I do pray that God would heal my eye. And yet, when I look at my relationship with God, what I recognize is what I need most from God is not a working right eye. What I need most from God is faithfulness more than anything else. And so I say to God, God, if my right eye not working is something you are using to grow me to be faithful to you, then don't heal it. So I don't need a working right eye. What I need is faithfulness. Those of you who are single and and praying for a godly spouse, that's a good prayer. Pray that God would provide you a godly spouse and yet recognize that if God is using your singleness to make you love him, then it is better to be single and in love with God than to have a date. So pray, God. Whatever it takes, do whatever you must to grow me in love for you. 
Parents, this is how we should be praying for our kids. It is good to pray that our kids would be healthy, that our kids would do well in school, that they would make good friends, that they would get into a good college. All of those things are good to pray for, but none of those are priorities. Because what our kids need most is not happiness or health, it is holiness. It is not a long life. It is love for God that they need more than anything else. And so pray all of those things for your kids, but focus daily on these six because this is what they need more than anything else. If you want to pray big, then pray like Jesus. Ask for the big things, the highest things, the best things. Don't content yourself with small things. Pray for the big things. This morning we have a privilege of not only studying this prayer from Jesus, but also celebrating what Jesus did for us just like 18 hours after uttering this prayer. Less than 24 hours after speaking this prayer, Jesus willingly out of love went to the cross to be crucified for us. Dying for our sins, rising from the dead, not just to save you from your sin, but to make you a child of God. You realize all of these six things, they are only possible because Jesus died for you. If he would not have died for you, then you could not pray. Your prayers would be useless because you would still be lost in your sins. It is only because Jesus willingly died for us that we can call God Father, that we can go to him and ask for these things, that we can pray to him this morning. And so as the men come forward and pass, you guys can come forward and pass the bread in the cup. I ask you to take this time to go to God and thanks. Take these few minutes just to thank God for sending his son Jesus to die for you so that you could call God dad, so that you could pray to God, so that you could love God and know him forever. Go to the Lord and spend this time in thanksgiving. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. If you'll join me in prayer and then we'll respond in worship. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to call you Dad. Thank you that we are able to speak to you, to lay our requests out before you, all based upon the merit of Christ, based upon his shed blood for us. Thank you that you gave us what is most valuable in heaven and earth, your son, as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead, conquering sin and Satan once and for all, so that we can have eternal life, so that we can be your children and live with you forever. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that not only did he die for us, but today he continues to represent us. He is our high priest standing at your right hand, praying for us more often than we pray for ourselves. Thank you for his love, his continued ministry for us. 
This morning, we celebrate all that you have done for us, Lord. We pray that our lives truly would glorify you. I pray that we would go from here, Lord, and that you would help us to be bold to tell people about Jesus. I pray that you would keep us loyal to you, that you would grow our love for you. I pray that you would protect us from the evil one, keep us believing truth and not falling prey to his lies. I pray, Father, that you would cause us to know and believe and obey your holy word. I pray that you would grow us together in unity based on love, that we would truly love one another with the same love with which you love the Son. And finally, Lord, we do pray, send Jesus soon. May he come soon, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus.